Welcome to Across the Street, your one-stop shop for all things inpatient medicine at the Durham VA, from faculty and staff who know it and love it just as much as you do. Hi again, everyone. This is Dr. Caputo, one of your friendly Durham VA hospitalists. And in this podcast today, we'll be talking about the management of pneumonia in the hospital. So let's imagine you're admitting a 60-year-old gentleman from the emergency room who presented with high fevers, a new cough productive of thick yellow sputum, a white count of 15, and a new 3-liter oxygen requirement. He's hypotensive and tachycardic, but he's still perfusing and mentating well. Chest imaging showed bilateral lower lobe consolidations, and procalcitonin was elevated at 5. This is probably a patient you've seen before, and I bet you recognize his condition. It sounds like sepsis from a bacterial pneumonia. So in today's talk, we'll identify common pathogens responsible for bacterial pneumonia in the inpatient setting, and we'll discuss treatment options for common presentations. We'll start off with the usual pathogens. There are several ways to identify our culprit organism, including sputum culture, blood culture, or urine antigens for strep and Legionella. It's important to get these tests before antibiotics are administered to maximize their sensitivity. Sputum cultures are pretty specific, so they're worth checking, but they're not always positive since it's often hard for patients to produce a good sample. Blood cultures are positive infrequently, but not never, and should be checked in any patient with sepsis as infection found in the bloodstream often alters treatment strategies. Lastly, we often forget about urine antigens, but we shouldn't, and not just because checking them is a hospital quality measure. They can also be really helpful. At the Durham VA, both the sensitivity and specificity for urine legionella antigens are 95%, which is pretty impressive. And for strep pneumonia, the sensitivity can be as high as 80%, and the specificity is greater than 90 That said, cultures can take 48 hours to result, so in the meantime, we need to treat empirically. Decisions on empiric therapy should start out appropriately broad based on what bacteria the patient is most likely to have. Generally speaking, we can lump patients into two broad categories. Are they, or are they not, at risk for having resistant organisms? In most cases of community-acquired pneumonia, and when we say that we mean pneumonia developed outside of a healthcare setting, patients are usually lower risk for having resistant bugs. Common organisms include strep pneumoniae, H. influenzae, moroxella, and staph aureus. Atypical bacteria also need to be considered, including Legionella, Mycoplasma, or Chlamydia species. In some clinical situations, you may also be worried about anaerobes, particularly in patients who you think could be aspirating. We generally want to treat patients who we suspect have non-resistant organisms with either a combination of a third-generation cephalosporin plus a macrolide, like azithromycin, or with a respiratory fluoroquinolone. At the VA, the fluoroquinolone of choice is levofloxacin, but bear in mind that fluoroquinolones don't do much for anaerobes, so if you suspect your patient is aspirating, that may not be the right first drug. Let's talk about patients who are at risk for resistant organisms, since they're treated a little differently. We used to use the term healthcare-acquired pneumonia, or HCAP, to define patients at risk for resistant bugs, but... This was determined to probably be too aggressive and led to an overuse of big gun antibiotics for patients who really just didn't need it. And so the term HCAP has been removed from ISDA guidelines. Now, risk for resistant organisms is determined mostly on a case-by-case basis. 
Some pieces of clinical history could raise our suspicion. For example, you might be worried if the patient has had previous resistant organisms, is known to be colonized with MRSA, has tried an appropriate course of therapy for community-acquired pneumonia but failed, has structural lung disease like COPD or bronchiectasis, has had a recent course of steroids, or frequently gets antibiotic courses for whatever reason. Additionally, if a patient has been hospitalized for 48 hours or more and then develops a pneumonia, that does technically qualify as a hospital-acquired pneumonia. Similarly, if a patient has been ventilated in the last 48 hours or has a ventilator-associated pneumonia, both of these patients are at higher risk for resistance. So as you can see, resistant organisms can happen both in the in- and outpatient settings, but we suspect them more when patients have been hospitalized for 48 hours or more. In any case, antibiotic coverage needs to consider the possibility of resistant organisms like MRSA or the SPASM organisms. And SPASM is a mnemonic that I like to use for the resistant gram-negative rods that we see in hospital settings. So S stands for serratia, P is for pseudomonas, A is for acinetobacter, C is for citrobacter, E is the enterobacteriaceae family, and that includes Klebsiella, E. coli, Proteus, etc., and M is Morganella. At the VA, IV vancomycin and either Piptazo or Aztreonam are the only broad antibiotic regimens that would cover those bugs and don't require ID approval. An important caveat to think about when you're choosing antibiotic regimens for your patients. Regardless of what you're treating, you always have to factor in patient-specific considerations such as allergy profile, renal function, and prior susceptibilities if available. If you think you need a drug other than what's on formulary, you can always call your friendly ID fellow. So back to our patient. He doesn't have any risk factors for resistant bugs that you can see, and so you suspect a community-acquired pneumonia that's making him sick enough to come into the hospital. You start him on IV ceftriaxone and azithromycin. You culture him appropriately, and it's been 48 hours, everything is coming up negative. So now you're wondering, how long do I have to treat for, and can I narrow him at all? This situation is pretty common, since between 60 and 80% of patients hospitalized for pneumonia will leave the hospital without a bug ever having been identified. Obviously, the best way to narrow therapy is with sensitivities, but if we aren't lucky enough to identify a bug, we can still make an educated guess. For starters, if you haven't found MRSA after 48 hours, it's probably not there, and it's probably okay to stop covering for it. If you're not worried about anaerobes, levofloxacin is a good choice. If aspiration is high on your list of possibilities, though, you can consider a second-generation penicillin with a beta-lactamase inhibitor, like amoxicillin with clavulanic acid. Using an oral third-generation cephalosporin, plus-minus continuing your macrolide, is a fair approach as well and offers a bit broader coverage, but that's two pills for the patient instead of one, and those oral third-generation cephalosporins require prior approval from ID before we can order them. Regarding duration, seven days is usually sufficient as long as they're responding well to therapy. There is some evidence to suggest that the use of procalcitonin trend to support clinical improvement could potentially lead to stopping antibiotics even sooner. What we're specifically looking for would either be an 80% decrease from the peak procalcitonin level or driving the procalcitonin down to an undetectable level, meaning less than 0.25. Studies supporting that usually excluded patients with MRSA or pseudomonas pneumonias, so procalcitonin trends probably can't apply to those patients, at least not yet. That concludes today's talk about management of pneumonia requiring hospitalization. 
As always, the views and opinions stated during this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Department of Veterans Affairs or Durham VA Hospital. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time.